Hello and welcome to the Gridiron Show. And spring has clearly sprung. If you're watching the video version of this, you can see I'm bathed in beautiful South London sunshine. Uh, I'm Will Gavin and joined by Gridiron editor Ollie Connolly uh, to bring you what really is the start of our podcast-based draft coverage because... It's been a off season with so much news, with so many trades, with so many changes in terms of personnel on teams, in terms of coaching, in terms of everything really in the NFL. Can't remember the last time we've had an off season that's been this busy. This is our first chance to really start to dig in to the NFL draft, which is only a couple of weeks away now. So on the show today, we're going to be going over just a bit of a kind of 30,000 foot view of what this draft contains and what positions you can get excited about and what teams. And, and we're going to look at five teams who realistically need to nail this draft based on where they are in their team building process, what their head coach and GM, the position that they're in right now. And, and just really, this is a year they need to make sure that they don't whiff on any of the picks that they do have. Um, but as I say, Ollie, this is the start of our draft coverage. And over the coming two and a half weeks or so, we are going to be bringing a lot of content your way. So just tell us, other than this podcast, what else can people expect from Gridiron over the next couple of weeks? Okay, so the next couple of weeks on Thursday, the Gridiron, the next edition of the magazine is out. That's our pre-draft edition. It is essentially a draft guide masquerading as a magazine. So it can give you the full lowdown of this draft class in written form. Um, every Wednesday from here on out, 10.30 p.m. Uh, British time. Uh, how do you say that, Will? Is that GMT? GMT, uh, yeah, yeah, that'll GMT. do. Uh, we're doing a live show. We're going to have a live draft breakdown show going team by team through the first round over the next three weeks and the run-up to the night before the draft where we shall have a pre-draft extravaganza as I'm trying to build it um, and build some excitement around that. We'll also have size draft guide he's done about 10 bazillion words that i edited over the weekend and yesterday that will be out asap it's with the design team now i'm very excited about that that will be exclusively on the read optional if you go to readoptional.substack.com, which is now part of the gridiron family i know it's confusing all links will be in the podcast description to make this far more easy <laughs> for you if you just type in the read optional to google and you go and subscribe there then size draft guide will be out in the next i don't know 48 hours 300 million words every if you want to go to the fourth punter in this class and find out what is his average hang time simon clancy has you covered in the side clancy draft guide <laughs> it's astonishing really and look we were talking about doing this show and we talked about the idea of the thirty thousand foot view what we want to kind of avoid is being one of those shows where we're just listing off player names and where we are just kind of you know barraging you with too much information we want to make it so it's nice and clear for you but actually as much as for everyone else this is for me because <laughs> I, 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 often at this time of year when we're a few weeks out i've at least taken some time to go over some draft guides to watch some highlights i'm never you know going to reach the level of simon or ollie and, and the level of kind of tape study those guys do but i feel like i'm versed enough to talk in a way that i would say would be relatively you know informed about the draft I, I would struggle right now this close to pick out 20 names that are going to go in the first round guaranteed and that is the worst I think I've ever felt going into a draft so part of this is for me as much as it's for you the <laughs> listeners so I'm looking forward to getting into this and, and getting into you know just what we can expect from this draft uh, let's start off with the position and obviously we've done the quarterbacks we did that in some depth yep. kind of when we were doing the quarterbacks earlier this year and as we know you know maybe this turns into the ej manual draft maybe it does turn out that we only get one one maybe two as somebody trades back into the first round and really they do tumble and you know it's, it's arguable that with all the movement we saw this year that was partially down to the fact that Teams were looking at the draft and going, well, we're not going to get our solution there. So let's go and throw picks at a team to get their quarterback. 
beyond that, it feels like a trenches draft from what I do know about it. Yeah, it's certainly a trenches draft. You know, Sinai last week, we got a little bit ahead of our skis and we started going deep into the, the edge rushing class <laughs> and the pass rushing class because that really is what this draft is about. You know, the magazine for us is build as the pass rushes are coming. You're going to get, I don't know, I would say 26 players selected in around the first 60 picks who it would be a shock if they weren't a key element of a team sub package as a pass rushing pass package in year one. Um, so not including your nose tackles, not including Jordan Davis, depending on what his situation is, as maybe the most dominant player in college football, but no one exactly knows how he's going to play on Sundays. So we're talking about an unusual amount of pure pass rushes built around getting after quarterbacks. So that's where the real um, talent is in this class. And then obviously on the other side of the ball, when you got that many great pass rushes in college, you got to find someone who can block them. And we've got all these guys who are really unusual body types. You know, there's the six, seven fella, Daniel Falale. There's a bunch of guys who are former tight ends. That's the big thing about this class is a lot of these guys have played offensive line for like one year, two years in college as well. If you know, you've noticed in, in the NFL a lot over the last couple of years, Teams are more willing than ever to say, go get me a big fella who moves in ways I don't know. I mean, Falale was found literally in a gym in Australia when a Hawaii coach was on holiday and he just saw him there in grade nine and was like, you're too big and move too well to not play our game going backwards. So th there's a whole bunch of really interesting offensive line prospects too, which when we go back over the past three, four years, back to EJ Manuel, Eric Fisher draft, we we've not really had one where it kind of resets the league as saying, here's seven principal tackles who we think could have a real shot to be full-time starters over the next four or five years. In terms of those, those pass rushers, like something that uh, is again, as someone who doesn't follow scheme as closely, but you know, that, that kind of tendency by more and more teams in the NFL to move towards playing almost a five, two front and having the kind of the, the more outside linebackers than straight up kind of, forefront defensive mm -hmm. ends need to be real edge benders need to be guys that can cut back on themselves like you talk about the weird physical traits of these guys is that the style that we're seeing i guess in the same way we've seen with offensive football out of college football where they've had to follow their nose to right there's a lot more spread in college this, this is what these guys know if we want them to hit the ground running we almost have to be adaptable to them is it similar with the pass rush in this draft where we're like right they, these guys are ready to go for that style of football it's interesting because in college football right now, and you've not really noticed it as much, and I think it's as much a failing of our profession, particularly in the draft world, as anywhere else. The, remember when we first got the spread in college and every quarterback, Marcus Mariota, all these guys came through, and Derek Carr, it was a giant issue. Can they take a snap from under center? They're running the spread option. What is this wizardry? Why are they all suddenly magical, magically good at throwing and running with the ball? They can't do that in the NFL. What's happened in defensive football over the last three years is the front structuring college football and the way they're aligning in the secondary where almost every good team now plays with three safeties on the field. And if not three safeties, one of these freakish linebackers you will probably talk about at some point who really is a safety. He just so happens to be a linebacker in the SEC because they can find guys who are 6'2 and can run like safeties and no one else can. And so they've completely radically shifted the front and um, back structure in college football in a way that looks nothing like the NFL. So you really, as, a, as an evaluator, having to make uh, a guess now about transitioning from a four-eye, which you don't use a lot in the NFL, these outside linebackers who don't play the way they will play in the NFL, and these safeties who are used to playing with two friends back there rather than playing back there on their own or you know playing with just one other guy and playing half a field. So... This transitioning of skills where we went through a 10 years of can these quarterbacks transition to the NFL? Can they move from from 
from offensive schemes to, to, to pro style schemes. That is now what's happening on the defensive side of the ball. As good as these guys are, there's a lot of guys here where you're saying to yourself, okay, I love what they do in college. The traits are, are incredible, but no one plays that style in the NFL. You just cannot play a lot of what they do in college football now in the NFL on the defensive side of the ball. So there's a lot of, of peculiar guys, which is why you get the situation where as you go through people's boards, you know, it, it, there's such little room between a lot of these guys. Uh, and I'm talking about throughout the position groups, both within their position groups and across the board. And I think you will see massively in this draft team saying, in that 11, 12 sphere and further down that they just like a guy and they're going to go get that guy, whether that's trading up, trading back, whatever, that you can throw from about four downwards in this class, I reckon, from the truly, truly elite any year prospects are just these guys are good this year, that there's such little room between them that you can throw them up in any order. They come down in the top 20 picks. You go, oh, yeah, that makes sense. Um, and so I think you'll te see teams really targeting individual guys. They've just figured out, talking to them on the whiteboard, he can transition into our system. I'm kind of, there's that idea of the transitioning system. And I guess it's the idea of, of positional flexibility and scheme flexibility as well from the players. Because, I mean, you talked about the safeties in particular. We've got one guy in Kyle Hamilton who looks like he could go record-breakingly high for a safety. You know, this guy could be uh, a game-changing talent, a position where I guess people don't really see it as a game-changing position in the same way that they have done in uh, you know, for a corner, for a uh, you know, for a lockdown corner, for a pass rusher, for a tackle, in the way that those positions are considered. But actually, the guys I have looked at beyond that, you know, I'm seeing a lot of safeties who also play slot corner, or a lot of guys who also can play on the outside, who also like it feels like that's been more of a focus as well. And I guess from an NFL team's perspective, you see a guy that can do four different jobs, and you think, right, well, that means I can make them good at the one job I need them to do. Yes, certainly. The, the thing that's really troublesome with it, and I'll try not to get too in the weeds if I do cut me off and tell me so. No, no, I'm all it's for just, it. I'm an in the weeds guy. It's fine. It, it's the specific geography of where they end up, like the landmark they end up at. So Lewis signed, for instance, the way Georgia plays defensive football now, and they're the greatest defense in the history of college football, essentially. Maybe Miami, you know, we can go back and forth on, on that. They're going to end up with six Hall of Famers apiece, probably, when, when it's all said and done in 25 years. But the way Georgia plays defense, Lewis San is their safety, right? Probably the second or third best safety in this class, depending on who you, on who you, uh, on who you read or listen to. Lewis Sign ends up ahead of all the corners and the corners flow past him because everything in college football is about mugging the middle of the field because everything from the offensive side is an RPO that targets the middle of the field. That does not happen in the NFL. There's a reason that these scouts care when quarterbacks are throwing deep outs because it's too hard to throw over in the middle of the field in the NFL. You have to be really, really special. Someone like Jimmy Garoppolo, horrific at throwing in the middle of the field, and you can just scheme him to the Super Bowl by saying, throw the low percentage shit outside the numbers, right? So how do you tell a safety who's spent four years in a system where he is rolling downhill to play pass coverage, not to play the run, with his with his corners flowing past him, so the corner's the deepest guy in the field, right? Then he gets to the NFL, and it's go back 20 yards and drive on anything downfield, and you best read it and beat it because Devontae Adams is coming over the middle of the field, and good luck. That's a really hard transition to make, so it, as much as it is totally about schematic versatility in terms of body types, Kyle Hamilton is such a rare talent because he's 6'4", and he's got the range of Earl Thomas. That, that just shouldn't even exist. It doesn't even make sense when I say it out loud. 
So that is an unusual body type that, yes, you could slide to boundary corner if you want and say, go take on Devontae, you know, if we, if we really, really wanted to do that and he was our best cover guy. But there's a big thing here, Jaquan Briska, Petria, uh, Baylor, they're all playing this new style of safety where they just sit in the middle of the field. And that used to be a lurker, right? You would roll one guy down in there, another guy would go deep. Teams don't do that anymore. That lurker is the deep guy in the middle of the field. They've really compressed the field down. So it's just a, a completely different position than what they'll ever be asked to do in the NFL. And I think more so than uh, feels like a drum that we bang a lot of the time and a lot of people bang, but I, I come back to this every year. The, the, the differences between college football and, and pro football, you could you know, list them in hundreds of different ways. But when it comes to actually playing those kind of positions on the field, where the hash marks are on a college football field versus where they are in an NFL field mean that these guys are basically playing a different sport when they come up. Like, from a physical perspective, it's some of these guys are phenomenal because if they're playing on one side of the field and need to close a guy down on the other, they're not going 15 yards <laughs> because they're lining out just outside the numbers. They're going 30 yards, which is astonishing. But at the same time, it also completely changes how you have to read an offense and how an offense has to read a defense. And so it's why you know, as much as a quarterback can have all the traits you want, if they can't read a defense in an intelligent way, then they're going to struggle and vice versa. These guys who play defensive back, what they have to do about <laughs> reading a thing about just the level of preparation that goes into being a Bill Belichick defensive back and how much you have to like learn the traits of the guy who you're <laughs> going to be lining opposite where, you know, if his left foot is backwards, then you know that 60% of the time he runs a post. And if his right hand is clenched, then you know that that's because he's planning to, you know, jam you off the line and then <laughs> cut inside. And it's like, honestly, you're a guy who's played in a system that asks you to do one job and then it's, you're given all of that information. We get into weeds on defensive backs, but it's astonishing. It's tough. I mean, it's, it's interesting. So for there was about a four or five year period where the games got pretty similar there. And I'm talking when Chip Kelly first came to the Eagles and we kind of got a little mini spread option revolution, both in terms of just formation and kind of option based football with Kaepernick and then obviously Lamar and, and those guys. But defensive football in college changed so dramatically in the last three years because they just completely redefined, as I said, the front structure and then how that relates to the back end because they had an extra guy in coverage they wouldn't normally have. You can't play with a three down front in the NFL because the left tackle is Trent Williams and he will clean out quite happily that four eye inside who in college football, right? His job is to take on two people, mug things up, and then someone is free somewhere. That That's basically the idea. In the NFL, you have to play with a five-man front, so now everyone's playing one-on-one. -on -one. So it's just a completely different sport at this point. I will say, though, um, on, the, on the DB stuff, what's, what's funny about it is... In college football now, the coverages are way more complex than they are in the NFL. The NFL has no time for complexity in coverage anymore. Belichick's a bit different. They have some kind of morphing stuff they call cone coverages, which is mm. really unusual. And it's a, basically a morphing, moving double team. Very hard to, to explain on a podcast. But in college football, they get these guys for three years. So they run these really sophisticated pattern match coverages, which means we're going to adjust the coverage on the fly with winks and nods, depending on how we see the routes develop. In the NFL, they say, you're here for two weeks, then we'll probably cut you. So you just hit that landmark there and then go fly to the ball. Let's not bother with any of this nonsense about looking at each other in chemistry because they only have a lot of these guys you know, in the facility for six weeks, a year at max. So we kind of mentioned a couple of the top groups, edge defender, safety, uh, where, where else, like, if we're looking at depth, and often with these guys, we've talked about it a lot with the wide receivers over recent years, right? Like, okay, you might see one or two guys who are taken super high, but actually if people are looking and saying, well, I can take the third best tackle on the board, and I think there's a huge fall off after that, 
but I could take the 12th wide receiver and be happy with that in the third round, then I'm going to do that rather than take my first choice wide receiver now. What were the other positions that you think offer real depth that you think people are going to be maybe holding back on and going, you know, second, third round, I'm going to feel really comfortable taking somebody and potentially starting them? Yeah, I think the three of the corners, the edge rushers we mentioned, and then the cornerbacks. And, and we're going to really get a point here where it will be that classic thing of just getting a run on a position where everything that teams have, you know, scenarioed for and war planned for will go out the window because they'll just see, oh, no, a team we didn't expect. It used to be the Raiders did something we did not expect. <laughs> And now there's a run on cornerbacks. And I think it'll just be one of those positions because all three of those are about as deep as each other. The wide receiver group is outrageous this season. You could see seven comfortably going the first round. Would not shock me if there was an eighth that, that snuck in there with the very last pick, depending on obviously do teams take these quarterbacks that aren't very good, at least as prospects, but uh, you know teams need QBs, Detroit, Carolina, Pittsburgh, Seattle, so on. I, I do think one of those groups, and it's kind of how do they weigh those groups? Because you've got that middle round range, right? Where you've got a Chris Olave versus a David Ajabo. And as a team, you're going to say, okay, in the playoffs, we need third down players. Do we get a receiver? Do we get an edge rusher? And I think it will just be on the night, one of those position groups, they'll punt. And like you say, say, look, let's just go get Sky Moore in the second round. That guy's a middle of the first round talent, but some doofus took a quarterback. Let's circle back round for him in the second round. And let's go get a Jarbo now because you can't find springy pass rushes in the in the 20s typically, but he's got an injury. So I think it's going to be one of those three groups. We'll get a real deep run and we'll probably get a record-breaking night of that one group going. And they'll all just wait till then, day two, to, to wrap up the other ones. So if you are a team who you're looking at your team needs, we're going to look at some of the top teams in the draft and um, some of the teams who need to have a good three nights out in Vegas. Not that many people have ever had good three nights straight in Vegas. <laughs> um, we need to see and look at who, what positions, if you are needy as anything, other than quarterback, are you looking at and going, oh, maybe free agency should have been our landing spot for this? Yeah, I think the two that stand out are the tight ends. It's not that it's necessarily a bad group, but it, you know the, the the change in the two sports essentially of college to the NFL has meant that you kind of have a specialist in college now. Either he's one of these Evan Ingram types who's really a big-bodied slot, right, and you just call him a tight end, or he's become a fullback who plays in the backfield. There's a lot of two-back in college now, which you don't get an awful lot of in the NFL anymore, and that they use that flexible tight end who would be like a Patrick Ricard, but typically a bigger bodied one in college football. He's, he's kind of a pseudo lineman in a lot of sets. So you just, you're in a position where you're looking, where's the all rounder and there's not really one of them. So you'd have to just go and get a scheme specific guy for you. Did you want a big bodied wide receiver? Do you want a fullback? So that's a tough one. If you didn't land one of them in free and I think the interior offensive line too is a, is a real rough one. Um, now, you might get a situation, as is often the case, where these tackles who are core tackles, you know, two years into their career, you kick them inside because they're not very good in space. That that always happens. But outside of the top three, which be, will be Tyler Linderbaum, Zion Johnson, Kenyon Green, they will all probably go, I reckon, in the first 23 picks. Maybe you could squeeze it to 25, depending on the quarterback situation. If you don't land one of those guys um, in on that first day, going into the second part, the second group of interior linemen and say, hey, we need a center to start week one in the NFL. Oop, that's not going to happen. That's going to be a real long two, three-year path. The thing is, is there another position more so than interior offensive line where it feels like outside of real superstars, like real, like, you know, the guys who come into the league and you just know that they're going to be destructive and you know that they're going to be able to block up field. They know they're going to do everything that they need to do in the position. 
it, it feels like more than anything, that's a place where you've development is as big as, as anything else. And actually being able to coach offensive line seems like the weakest blind spot for so many NFL teams. Actually, are there enough guys out there that you could say with the right coaches, with the right situation, they've got the talent or is it literally oh, yeah. just talent poor? No, I, th- I think, I mean, because it's, it's just body type and then you can't, we're not in the building with him to see, does this guy take coaching well? How adaptable is he? You know, what has the development been? And particularly these big schools, Georgia, Oklahoma, where a lot of that second year is, they only get one year because there was another superstar in front of them the year before. I think the thing that's really odd with this group is, again, I'm going to try and not get too nerdy here to, to bore people, but in college football now, because it's so RPO-based, the style of blocking, particularly in pass sets with that second group, and specifically there's a group, group of Oklahoma lads in that in, in that midsection there, they take these really deep vertical sets from the interior, which will never happen in the NFL. This is never, ever, ever happening. Never Couldn't happen because if you said to Aaron Donald, hey, would you like a head start? Okay, <laughs> good luck with that one. <laughs> if you don't smash him in the face off the ball, even in pass protection, which is not supposed to be a passive thing, Good. It's just this is not going to happen, right? So, and and that's same with there's so much more stunts and twists in the NFL. And if you give them a, a head start as a Genevian clowny looping around the edge again, that's that's not going to go well for anyone. So, trying to retrain someone who spent three years doing that is an it's going to it's going to take a long time. So, I'm with you. I think so much of offensive line play now. If I was running an organization, I would say the same thing. I'd say every year let's take two guys between the fourth and sixth rounds, and let's just hope we can coach what we hope for the best. And like the Patriots, every year, right? It's a factory. You let a couple walk out, you go, oh no, they're in trouble. And you look up and you go, hang on, they still got Shaq Mason, they still got this, they still got, well, not now, but you know, they've, they've still got David Andrews. It's like, where did they find all these guys? So yeah. I, it's, I do think it's a coachable position. It's just not one where in this class, like you're saying, Tyler Lindenbaum is probably the best center prospect to come into the draft since Travis Frederick, right? It's going to be a Creed Humphrey situation. You drop in the middle of your line and all of a sudden you've got a magical player right away, like a Zach Martin. Um, Quinton Nelson, someone like that. Outside of him and maybe the other two guys who I think Zion Johnson, Kenyon Green can be day one starters, you are in that developmental pool. And if you're a team who needs that position like the Packers, do you want to be in the developmental pool? I don't think so. All right. Let's take a look at some of the teams because I think we're going to get more into the weeds, as you put it, uh, over the coming weeks, particularly the live show. Do make sure you're checking that out on our social media, uh, because if you want to get really nerdy, if you want to be the guy in the room that can come out with something on draft night, which will make other people stroke their chin and believe that you really know your stuff, then watching uh, Ollie and Cy talking about this is I'm going to be there. That's for sure. I don't know if I'm going to be on the stream, but I'll be watching it. That's for sure. Um, Let's talk about some of the teams who need to nail the 2022 draft who need to have a good few days out in Vegas. And some of these are obvious teams because they're, you know, teams that are very much in the rebuilding process and that's the draft for them. And some of them are teams who would consider themselves contenders, but have some very clear problems with their rosters. Let's start off with the former though. And let's start off with the Detroit lions because well, just because they're the Detroit Lions. Give us something interesting to watch on Hard Knocks. Give us a team who might actually compete. That would be lovely. Um, I, I, you look at the players they've acquired. They brought in, what, DJ Chark. They lost Trey Flowers. It's not a huge amount in and out for them. They didn't have a particularly active free agency, which is kind of rare maybe for a team with the amount of cap space they've got and the position that they find themselves. But they are one of those teams with a litany of needs. They really are. And the one way you look at them and say they have to come away with maybe some viable option at quarterback. And do they use that second first round pick? Do they use the the second overall pick and just say, bleep it, let's go take whoever we believe in the most? 
I, I don't think you would do that when you look at there's probably four guys who you think are absolute superstars, particularly positions in need. I mean, Aiden Hutchinson is expected to be the first pick, but if the Michigan guy falls to the second spot and his whole game is built around being tenacious and you don't think Dan Campbell is running to the podium bare-chested <laughs> to, to, to take the guy himself. That's not I'm... your job, Dan. I don't care! <laughs> I, I do think that second pick, though, I was thinking about this today, I'm like, would they move that? I, if I'm them, I'm looking, I'm saying, they need everything to just elevate a little bit right that everyone admits they got a decent solid core and you're just saying can we get five more percent out of this group and you would love to drop in there um a cave on Thibodeau or whoever you think is the second best player in the draft class and maybe they think the, their favorite player is going to be there at number two but I'm also thinking man if you could maybe move back into that spot five to seven the Giants have those two picks right where you could still get a truly elite player and what we were just talking about there Kyle Hamilton, right? That he's been mocked to them routinely. It's like, well, could we get to five and still take Kyle Hamilton when all those other teams probably want one of those three elite tackles and then someone will want Hutchinson and then someone might want Thibodeau with that high or want uh, Walker, who is also being linked to Detroit. Could we not get then if they just plot it down? We could still get one of those top five guys then at the fifth spot or the seventh spot. So if I'm them, I'm thinking, could we get more assets out of this thing by shopping that second overall pick, particularly on draft night, if, as expected, Hutchinson goes first. It, I mean, as, as much as quarterback is obviously a key look, actually on the offensive side of the ball and wide receiver, which is a deep class we talked about, the offensive line improved massively, it felt like, throughout last year and, and could be a position of strength for them. But for a def- deep defensive draft, there are good defensive players at every level going throughout this draft and they need players at every level of that defence. So it feels like if there's a team who are set up both from where they're picking, how many picks they've got, and the positions of need they have. They, they, in theory, are a team set up to have a really good three days, and we should be coming away from this going, wow, this team yeah. might be a quarterback away from being really good. Um, whether that yeah. quarterback is a guy that they bring in or not, who knows? I think everyone does those draft grades after the day after I, which is basically, did you take people I liked going in, which is a <laughs> very bizarre exercise that the ecosystem feels the need to do. They may as well just plug in an A plus now, right? Because the draft is so talented and everyone has 50 players they adore outside of the quarterbacks, basically, because it's that gifted a class that they will just no matter what, should come away with two unbelievable players <laughs> at the second spot and then at 31, unless they, they move out of one of them. Um, I do think that 31 spot is interesting, again, just because if they get to 31, and let's say only Willis and Pickett have gone from the QBs, and then everyone's saying, well, will they look at an Akobe Dean in that spot, the linebacker from Georgia, or will they go and get their quarterback for the fifth-year option, right? Will they go and take a Desmond Ritter or someone? That, again, is a great spot for them to just auction it and say, who of the other teams does Pittsburgh want to come back in? Does New Orleans want to come back in and get themselves a fifth-year option? So I think no one is better set up going into this class to just be able to knock out of the park, as you said, with the positions they need, with how deep the draft is, uh, with exactly where they are picking in the draft and what that can do with them in terms of moving up or down to get extra assets um, or just to select great players. They should come out of this having, having nailed it. Carolina Panthers. Um, I mean, Matt Rule, a guy who maybe a year, year and a half ago was an absolute darling and people were convinced he was going to be the long-term option to turn this team and this franchise into a long-term winner. He and Scott Fitter, they're still in the building. They've still got their opportunity here. They've still got a chance to try and go and build something, but it does feel like if it's a, a this year or a bust situation for them, a little bit the inverse of the Lions, although they still need help pretty much everywhere. But 
up front, they need a lot of help. Uh, they need. I know they brought in Austin Corbett, but that's yeah, that's <laughs> huzzah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, I just wanted to make sure we mentioned it because some <laughs> Panthers fan will try and claim that that was what they needed up front, interior-wise. They they clearly need a tackle. We've known that for a very long time. They were on, on the market for one as well. They need a quarterback, of course. They need help in the pass catching. Although they did bring in a couple of guys in free agency. They need help on the defensive side. They just need help. They just yeah. need help. I think it has to be. I mean, I know we're going to get onto Chicago in a second, and they don't have a first round pick. But outside, this has to be the worst position for a team in the draft because you know that they know. As we talk today, they're fired. It's not a situation of oh, they're on the hot seat. They are fired. David Tepper is very uh, tempestuous. They might not see out week four, week five. So when you think of that as a staff, you're like, we just have to take the quarterback there, right? And so you're going to end up, what, taking Kenny Pickett sixth overall, which is the guy that you apparently like, or you're going to gamble on Malik Willis, who is, is my number one quarterback in the draft, but I don't think he's necessarily going to be ready to play for you week one and be, and be a difference maker. You're going to have to go through the growing pains of a guy coming from Liberty to the NFL and playing in a gimmicky offense at Liberty to boot. And then you look at it and say, well, again, if we're at six, the math just says that one of those unbelievable tackles is going to be there for us. So not only are we going to take Kenny Pickett, who is probably terrible, we're going to pass on Charles Cross or Ikemakwanu or Evan Neal, who will probably be an all-pro player inside three years. It's like, oh, that is a really rough position. And what did you move down to try and stay in the quarterback game? Could they even try to get to two with Detroit just to guarantee they get Willis or Pickett? If you're doing the bleep it pick at six, go do the bleep it pick at number two if, you, if you're going to do it. So it, they, they are just in such a tough bind, like you said, because they are in the exact spot where someone who should not be there just on pure talent, someone who will be a consensus top five player will most likely be there. And then they're going to have to decide, do we do that knowing we're taking the right play? It's kind of the Patrick Sertan, um, mm-hmm. Justin Fields situation in Denver last year. They took the, they got the best play, but they probably took the wrong one. At least that staff, they might not say so now. George Patton stayed and got himself Russell Wilson. I'm sure Vic Fangio sat at home saying, I really wish you'd taken Justin Fields, George. <laughs> so it's kind of that similar bind of, you can take the, the, the better player, but it might be the wrong player for that staff to take themselves. Uh, the Chicago Bears, you mentioned them there. Uh, no first-round pick, as, as, as mentioned. And a team who have lost a lot of talent this offseason. I think kind of underrated just how yep. much talent have got out door. And obviously everyone looks at playmakers like Alan Robinson, guys like Akeem Hicks, and guys like, yeah, uh, who, guys who go out and, and are splashy and make a difference week in, week out. But actually, you know... Guys like uh, Eddie Goldman, who can be a great rotation with like Jermaine Effetti, who goes like guys who just actually are that mid part of the roster who are so important if you're going to be a winner consistently in the NFL. And it just feels like they have overall, you talked about the idea with Detroit getting that extra kind of five or 10% out of it. They've lost that from this team this year. Yeah. And yet Bears fans, very excited. New coach, <laughs> I believe Justin Fields is the one. They are hyped for this. Without a first-round pick and with losing as much talent as they have, you think to yourself, right, with the picks you've got, you need starters. I think it's the most underrated um, storyline in the entire NFL right now. When you look at the other teams around the league with young quarterbacks, we saw what the Dolphins did to give to a tag of Iloa, the, you know, the one-year or you're out situation, what the Chargers have done with Justin Herbert. All these teams who know the top market and efficiency in the sport now is a quarterback on a rookie contract. You can just splash the cash and the rest of the roster, and you should have a loaded roster 
just by the happenstance of the league, the way the salaries are structured, if you have a quarterback on a rookie deal. And you look at that Bears situation, and they have a bottom three line in the NFL, right? It was the, the giant problem last year. They couldn't address it in free agency. If you go through their current receiving core, at the moment, it's Darnell Mooney, Byron Pingle, and Equimenius St. Brown. That's their receiving core as they that they have surrounded around Justin Fields. It, we're starting to get to the point where it's like, are they trying to sabotage him? They have $45 million in dead money, right? If you compare that to the, the other young quarterbacks and the teams they're on, the Jets have a million dollars, the Dolphins, $3 million, the Chargers, $3 million, the Niners, $5 million. They're paying two quarterbacks, $5 million for them. The Pats, $8 million, the Bengals, $9 million, and the Jaguars, who are supposed to be the, you know, the, the silliest team in the league, $23 million. So the Bears basically have double the amount of dead money as the Jags, and their roster is significantly worse, you would say, player by player than what the Jags have. The Jags have paid silly money for average players, but they at least have the average players. The Bears have no players, no money, and not a first-round pick. It's it's a really dreadful situation. One, I certainly, until I started digging into the numbers, I, I did not realize quite how horrific this situation looked from a cap sheet perspective and just the talent on the team. Oh, and by the way, let's not forget a head coach who 12 months ago looked like he might have been a great head coaching hire, but actually the Colts defense, one of the most talented defenses in the NFL, fell off a cliff last year. <laughs> so there are big question marks over whether that's him as a schemer, him as a leader of men, him as like, you know, it's a guy who I, Matty Bufus, I banged the table for a lot in previous years as a guy I was really keen on. And you talk to the players, we do we, do we, um, uh, we had Forrest Buckner on the show last year. Spoke with a couple of the guys at, at the at the um, at the Pro Bowl as well, and they're all singing his praises all day long. But the results on the field weren't there for Indianapolis at a time where they desperately needed them because their quarterback had decided to himself fall off whatever tiny cliff he'd already been on. I just, yeah, I, I they're not a team I would feel hugely positive about. Sorry, Bears fans. Where, where they're not- picking is really tough too because you're at thir- the 39th pick in the draft, and like I said. The top 50 players is all a much of a muchness in this draft. So you'll get someone who everyone will think is a first round talent at that spot. But are you going to take a receiver with your first pick in the draft? And we just mentioned how bad they are. Now I know their receiver room looks like, you know, a creator club made up players that, uh, you know, Equinemy St. Brown remains a real human being somehow. Um, <laughs> Donald Mooney, real human being, not good football players, unfortunately. So you're going to take one of these guys who probably should have been a first round pick in that spot. And it's like, does that really move the needle for you? Doesn't Justin Fields really need a Offensive line help. We saw him with Alan Robinson and he couldn't get the ball off in time. So then you're going to go and take an offensive lineman who in that range, you're looking at one of these former tight end developmental types. You will probably need, you know, there's three players in this draft class in the first eight offensive linemen that in Cy Clancy's draft book, he has to put the note down. They learned the rules on Madden in the past 24 months. So you're going to take that guy with your first pick in the draft to protect Justin Fields. You know, that's the kind of guy you take when you think, let's just swing for the fences. We're the Kansas City Chiefs. Nothing can go wrong for us. You know, we've got a great player. So it's just a, they're in a really, really tricky bind, I think. Let's talk about a couple of teams who would consider themselves as uh, as contenders, certainly in an NFC, which over this offseason has become overall weaker, you'd argue, for, certainly versus an AFC, which probably has too many teams to fill already too many playoff spaces in seven. The Arizona Cardinals, picking at 23, who, I mean, glaring things are things that they can get in this draft. Wide receiver, I mean, Christian Kirk, I can understand why they wouldn't sign him to the same deal that he ended up signing elsewhere in Jacksonville. But he's a guy who, you know, was 
part, a, a big part of their roster last year, uh, losing Chandler Jones, Jordan Phillips, Jordan Higgs, that kind of key defensive players, particularly edge guys. Edge guys are available in this draft. So there is, a, again, not unlike the lines we spoke about first, they are a team who are set up to succeed here. But again, a team who I kind of feel like sneakily, maybe not to the level of the Bears, but considering the number of wins they have in recent seasons and everyone loves that split and looking at the first half of the year, the second half of the year and how badly Cliff Kingsbury teams fall off. But in a division that has a Rams team who are going from strength to strength to strength, the 49ers team who, if they have a starting quarterback, arguably could be very, very good this year. The Cardinals might turn into not even an average NFL team without doing a huge amount this year. So, Again, starters needed in this draft to make sure they keep up that pace. Yeah, and they have Kyle Murray looming over everything where, you know, he's put them back on his social media profiles, which is things you have to somehow monitor as a journalist in 2022. After, after Debo Samuel took everything off his <laughs> social media, it's something I refuse to talk about as a talking point in any way seriously uh, until he's put it back on again when he signs for $25 million a year or whatever ridiculous sum of money it costs for a wide receiver nowadays. And as much as I find it peculiar when someone in almost a third person discusses themselves as a pioneer, very <laughs> LeBron James style, Kyler Murray has discussed himself publicly as a pioneer. So it would not be shocking to see him sign an outrageous deal with them and then ask for a trade next season and kind of do the basketball thing where you get the contract up front and then you get the deal on the back end. So they always have to keep that in mind that I think receiver is an obvious one for them because it's such a talented, deep class. Um, and there's, there probably will not have been all eight guys go before they pick uh, the 23rd spot. So one of those guys is right there. The cornerback groups we mentioned, there's every chance they will. Derek Stingley, by consensus, the most gifted cornerback in the class, but has a list Frank foot injury. He could slide all the way down there. I do think if I was them, that would be the team where I would be most aggressive at trying to get up. I would really be monitoring the Kayvon Thibodeau situation that me and Sai discussed in detail last week and saying, if he gets to nine, when he's probably the second most talented player in the overall draft class, because people are worried about the fact that he's signing business deals with Phil Knight, which is to me impressive rather than a concern. I would be like, wow, if we can go up and get there, I don't think it's going to be that expensive. I was floored by how expensive that Saints Eagles trade was. I thought because everyone is so much of a muchness in this class, you would just be throwing third round picks to move up a couple of spots because people are happy with whatever four guys fall into their laps, a couple of picks back. And I do think on, on draft night, as teams really see the board, I don't think it will be as expensive as that Saints-Eagles trade was made a fortnight earlier. So if I'm the Cardinals, whether it's a receiver they love, say they just adore Drake London, they think he is so much better than the rest of the guys. I, If I was them, I'd look from nine down and, and be making call every pick. What will it cost us to get into that race? Because they need not just a difference maker year one, they need someone who can come in and have a Jamar Chase-style impact on either side of the ball, who can be a carrier of a unit for them because I, I think their free agent stuff was was a mess I saw some uh, murmurings of the Vikings at 12 as a possibility of a team who are looking to pop back a little bit yep. and that could be someone to target but it's probably costing you what your second next year and an extra mid-round yeah. pick like it's not it's not going to be cheap to get up there but you do find that the cost of outside of if you're going up for a quarterback if you're going up for a quarterback and teams know that's what you're going up for. They will rake you over the coals <laughs> and they will make sure they get everything out of you. And I speak as a fan of a team who did that last year. Like, you know that's happening. But actually, when you start to get to that mid-round in that Eagles-Saints trade you're bang on about, what they paid then 
versus what a team will pay on draft night when people seem to be a lot more lubed up and ready to go for those kind of trades. It feels like they massively overpaid. Because for... I think it's one of those ones where we have this every couple of years, right, where you get the report from someone on draft night, like Rappaport, you know, as the broadcast starts saying, everyone wants to move down, but no one is willing to move up. And Because <laughs> everyone's looking at this. You've going... got to find a dance partner. <laughs> like... Because everyone's going to go into that draft. All the scouts going to be there with these giant boards, lovely stick on magnet stuff and go, I love all of these first 60 players. Can we get two of them, please? I love Trent McDuffie, but I'd rather have two guys. You know, I'd rather have Carl Laftis and Booth than I would just have McDuffie because the it's such talent on the defensive side of the ball. And so someone like the Vikings, when the average age of your starter on defense is 29 years old heading into the season, you're looking going, can we end up with two guys here rather than the one at 12 that we could get one we'd love? We'd prefer to have two of these guys because it's such a talented group. So yeah, I think that once you get into that, the idea, the top skating idea of coming away from draft night with two guys you really like rather than the one who you think could change your linebacking core will will just naturally reduce the price needed because they'll just want the, you know, the second first round pick or whatever. And finally, our final of our five teams that need to nail draft night are the NFC favourites. Just shading the Rams at the moment in that market right now for the conference championship. Team with two first round picks as well on top of that. But again, a little bit similar. Desperate needs at positions that are strong in this draft. Wide receiver, edge rusher, and the fact that they signed their quarterback to a contract that says, look, we need to win this in the next two years. Otherwise, we're going to end up looking a little bit on the silly side. The Green Bay Packers, uh, particularly that first round, they almost need to get a wide receiver and an edge rusher, and they both need to be meaningful starters. Yeah, I couldn't have said it better myself. Or go and take two receivers. They, I mean, they have to hit on that room. That, that whole thing collapses if they don't come away with someone with game-breaking speed, and someone who can play underneath. Ideally, you'd get someone who can do both, obviously, but they traded that guy to, to <laughs> Vegas. So they need someone who can do that because so much of that system is built on deep option routes. So much of it is, is built on breaking the back of the coverage so that you can just destroy the middle of the field in a way that no other team in the league can do because your guy throwing the ball is more special than everyone else in the league, basically. Uh, so if, if they're going to run that same system, same style, they've got to come away from the draft with two great receivers. Whether you do them both in this first round or like you said, if I'm them, if David Ajabo is there, that, that's the luxury of being a great team is that you can say, we can go and get one of the guys who might not have the perfect health record. And we hope that he is a, a genuine difference maker by the time we make the playoffs. So yeah, if, I, if I'm them, I'm looking at the best pure red rusher available and, and the top receiver on my board. And for me, for them, more than anything, it's about what do they do on day two because they have to find impact guys unlike anyone else in the league right maybe kansas city but at least they know their quarterbacks here for eight more years these guys don't know if aaron Rodgers is going to wake up you know in, in the middle of november having read nietzsche and decided I'm, I'm done i don't even want to play in the playoffs anymore they cannot decipher what this guy wants to do on a day-to-day week-to-week basis i heard today he's not turning up to workouts He's, I know they're voluntary, but he's just he's just ransacked a, a town of all of its money whilst blaming everyone else for the problems and then says, yeah, I'm not even going to come to workouts where we could maybe find, you know, a tiny, tiny marginal gain that might help us when you know December rolls around. And it's a system and a quarterback where those relationships, particularly with the wide receivers, are so key. So guess what? Getting in the reps with the guys that you have in the building <laughs> might be the difference in, say, week 15 when you're vying for the number one seed and you need somebody to make a play because you can't just throw to Devontae Adams on every down anymore. 
it, that might be the difference maker. That might be the that that might be that marginal gain as you talk about. And okay, as much as they might go and get one of these brilliant receivers in this class, and there might be a guy fall to them at, at the kind of the low twenties pick that they've got. I still think that that's one scheme and one quarterback where hitting the ground running, no matter how talented you are, is going to be really tough for those guys. Yeah, I'm interested to see how it changes just their their general timeline and the way they do things in Green Bay because they still hold on to this notion that we draft and develop. We're Green Bay. It's different to everyone else. Are they willing to do one of these guys who may be as shady off the field stuff, who is one of the injured guys, a George Pickens, a Williams? Are they just willing to say, bleep it, we need someone with 4-3 speed who can play this season? And and are they going to stick to ruthless Packersness because he signed the contract now, I guess. So he's not playing anywhere else, at least. Maybe he leaves and they've still got Jordan Love there. Are they still willing to stick to this? It's the top of the board. You know, we're taking an interior lineman because Tyler Lindenbaum's there and we know he's a special player. Or are they going to kind of acquiesce to what everyone else has acknowledged over the past four years that they have failed to until this offseason, seemingly? and said, we are working on a year-to-year timeline and we need someone who can get the ball in their hands and make someone miss in space this year because that's the way we win a Super Bowl. They are probably the most need-based team in the league right now in terms of trying to win a title next season, the team that needs to win a title next season the most with a front office, a staff, a culture around the organization that is the least needy team in the history of professional football. They don't care about any of that stuff. They only care about the share price, the local cheese manufacturer, and a team they can be proud of. That's like the only things they care about. Meanwhile, they need someone who can make a linebacker miss in space. Uh, Good. That was uh, as informative as I hoped it would be. And uh, we didn't fall into too many traps of uh, of listing off players, as we were worried about. (laughs) Uh, That's for tomorrow. Uh, Because... The live so ten thirty tomorrow did we agree to in the end because Cyclancy doesn't want to miss out if Liverpool go to extra time in the <laughs> Champions League. That's basically the only reason. If it's if he wasn't unlikable enough for being a Dolphins fan, he's also a Liverpool fan. Uh, so ten thirty tomorrow evening on the Gridiron socials at Gridiron on Twitter. Also follow us at UK Gridiron on Instagram as well for the live and for loads of draft content over the coming weeks. If you don't already subscribe to the magazine, it's just going to be so well worth your while to get that basically de facto draft guide and you can buy it on an individual basis if you want to try it out and then subscribe for next season also absolutely perfectly acceptable just don't not get it because it's going to be well worth having uh particularly on draft night and i i uh, i haven't even asked the guys about this yet but maybe just maybe there might be some live coverage on draft night on a national radio station that the guys might be involved in we'll talk uh otherwise thank you so much for listening this has been the gridiron show 